Welcome to Broadway's Backbone with Brad Bradley, a podcast dedicated to the men and women of the ensemble, the chorus of dancers, singers, and actors that are the foundation of every Broadway musical. These often unsung gypsies are the hardest working people on the boards and are, well, Broadway's Backbone. Welcome to episode 36. Our special guest is Elma Lenz Canefield. As creator and founding director of the counseling services at the Juilliard School and in her private psychotherapy and coaching practices, Elma Lynn's Canefield developed a specialization in the psychology of the performing artist. For over 30 years, Ms. Canefield has worked exclusively with hundreds of actors, dancers, musicians, and vocal artists from all over the world. She conceived a performing arts therapy to help performers heal the pain and resolve the problems of past trauma through gaining intangible insights into themselves and an understanding of their worlds. She developed performance potential coaching to empower them to go beyond the problems towards a present and future possibilities and opportunities to create the success that they want in their lives in the profession that they love. Performance potential strikes a different chord for each of you. Your performance potential is very personal. That possibility you have inside, a stretch, a living up to, a reach, that special greatness, a uniqueness, something that perhaps you never even dared to say aloud. Welcome, Elma Lynn's Kingfield to Broadway Backbone. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Brad? I'm fantastic. I'm really excited and honored uh, that you are here today because we met in a performance masterclass that you taught and you deal specifically with performers. That's right. So and their potential. And their potential. So tell me a little backstory of you. Uh, where are you from, and how did you get started? I am from St. Louis, Missouri. And Missouri, I thought, you say it, Missouri. Yes, I know. <laughs> In New York, you say Missouri, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, I got started in my field, which is both psychotherapy and coaching, uh, because I was once upon a life a performer. And I sang. I was a musical theater performer, having initial aspirations in opera. Uh, But I found I was most suited uh, for the musical theater stage, having fallen in love with Mary Martin. Okay, that's that's a good person. Yes. And um, I loved it until one day I opened my mouth to sing and nothing would come out. You mean you lost your voice, or? Yeah, I was silent, and I couldn't phonate, and I went to new voice teachers, and I went to doctors, and eventually I went to a psychiatrist who said that I had an adjustment disorder, and that I had to settle into my life, and ultimately I realized I was living the wrong life and that I wasn't really myself. Was this a hard decision? Uh, It was a very hard decision, and I had to really go um, deeply inside and learn who I was. And what I learned was I was not only not myself on stage, I wasn't myself off stage. Uh, And I developed, it was a metaphor really, and I learned from that that how I was doing one thing was how I was doing everything. And that is one of my favorite things I've learned from you. Because I think it's true for everybody. I was stuck, and my silenced voice 
was the metaphor for my stuckness or how I was stressed out in my life. And I was stuck in my community, with my friends, with my family. And once I understood that, I figured out what I wanted to do with my life. So I took myself to graduate school and I became a psychotherapist and more recently a certified life coach. And for the last uh, 30 plus years in New York, I've had a private practice exclusive to performing artists. And I started the Department of Psych Services at the Juilliard School. That's impressive. It was such a beautiful opportunity and experience. You know, as Anna and the King and I says, from your students you'll be taught. Yes. From the performers I've worked with, I'm just full of learning. That's wonderful. One time you told me that you just realized you didn't have the goods, and just the way you said that was, it was a very matter of fact, but I don't think that your process to get to that point was as matter of fact of just saying you didn't have the well, goods. Well, I didn't have the goods as a young performer. I didn't have the discipline. I wasn't fearless like I think you have to be when you are on stage or in life. Yeah. Um, I think you have to go out of your comfort zone, both in life, on stage and off stage. And I wasn't willing, committed to do that. And that's why I became voiceless. I was voiceless hmm. literally in my life. And uh, when I decided to commit myself to who I was and what I was doing and how I was living my life, that's when I developed my performance potential, which is the workshop or the master class is what I call them because you as a performer are so comfortable and familiar with master classes. Oh, we, we definitely are. So you specialize with um, all performers. So All performers, and dancers, so singers, musicians, um, actors, musical theater performers, and once a clown. I like the that clown. Was just such a cool experience. So I like your definition of what a performance potential is, and it strikes a different chord for each of you. Your performance potential is very personal. That possibility you have inside, a stretch, a living up to, a reach, that generous special greatness of uniqueness, something that perhaps you have never seen or even dared to allow. I think I allowed. Dared to even speak aloud because... Oh, dared to say aloud. I said that wrong. That's okay because uh, your potential, um, what the master class is really about is realizing, fulfilling, and then reaching it. And people, performers come into these master classes at different stages. Some performers come in to realize what their potential is. Some people come in to um, fulfill it. And that often means looking at what's stopping this fulfillment. And some performers come into these master classes to reach it. Right. So each performer, whatever the art form is, comes in for a different reason.
And that's what's so exciting and fun. Well, I know that so many of us, myself included, uh, sometimes I just feel stuck. And you came in to fulfill it. You came yeah. in kind of in the middle. Oh, I was so stuck. Yes. And I had no idea how to get unstuck. Yes. And so how do you guide someone to get... Actors get in their own way. We're in our heads. We're our own worst enemy. How do you guide an actor to get their potential as opposed to just saying, stop having so much self-doubt? Well, as I recall, you were stuck because you thought you had no choice. No, I thought that this career was making all my decisions for me. Yes. So once that window was open that, oh my God, I might have a choice in this. I could stay a victim, stay stuck. I could maybe have a different perspective. I could change myself. I could accept the situation or I could let it go. Those are five conscious choices that you have. Once you played around with those choices, look at you now. Um, <laughs> well, no, it's like one of the things that came out of being stuck was this podcast. Um, and, but it was, it wasn't, it's not the, an easy process. It's so it's, it just, I always feel like you can, you go into therapy or psychotherapy and they're going to give you a switch and say, now you're unstuck, go, here's your tool. And they're going to walk in and, and wow them. Well, you made it look kind of easy. Oh, well, <laughs> I, well, thank you very much. But I think one of the things to get back to the quote is how you perform one thing is how you perform yes. another. You looked at the other areas in your life and the way you were stuck, you were stuck the same way. Yes. And do you want to say how you were stuck? Well, I think I was stuck because I only found validity in my career. That's the only thing I thought was important in my life. And so when that wasn't going well, my life was felt so empty and so vapid. And I didn't realize that I, my creative well and my inspiration is so about me. It doesn't have to be, I don't have to be paid for it. I don't have to get applause for it. I have to have my non, my creative personal life be just as important as my creative professional life. Yes. That's one of the ways. So you changed your perspective. Yes. There was another really big way, and that was in your thinking. Well, we talked about I took everything personal. Yes. <laughs> and now that you realize that rejection in particular is not personal. It has to do with who's doing the rejecting. What are they saying no to, or even yes to? Right. That's their business. I, I completely agree, and now I don't take things as personally, yeah. but then every once in a while I do. Like last week I walked into an audition and afterwards felt good, left there, great, we talked, I felt so great. That's not to say tomorrow I'm not gonna obsess over, over the uh, audition and if they're gonna call me. So it's trying to find the balance of saying I'm not taking it personally anymore. Because I think that for me is gonna be so important. Because when I do take it personally, it doesn't solve anything. But you know that now. I do know that now. But I think I, we as actors, but myself in particular, put so much value and stock in other people's opinions and getting the job and getting hired and our, my self-worth 
was determined on that. Other person's eyes. Yes. So how do we make our own eyes the most important eyes? That's one of the ways when I was doing that too. Mm. Doesn't work. So when something doesn't work, we have to say, how do we make something else work for us? Or what about this doesn't work? Or recognize that it doesn't work. Right. And I think you said something, uh, one of your quotes was, you can change what you're doing if you change the way you're thinking. When you change what you're thinking, you will change what you're doing. (laughs) You have the goods. Look at that. You sang that. That sounded great. (laughs) But it's hard to change our, our, our thinking, you know, especially when we think that we hit the note perfectly. We did a triple pirouette. We did everything right. And they still didn't like us. How, how do you not take that personally? Well, I think you hit a word that we're all raised with that if we can eliminate from our vocabulary, we'd be so free, which is perfectly. You're right. Hopefully, we can substitute excellently. Well, I'm going to start that now. Okay. Yeah. Because, I, I mean, I never really did things perfectly we talked about um in the audition room just instead of comparing to other people and thinking oh that person's better than me trying to hone the skill of just concentrating on yourself and your own um talents and stuff like that without having to compare and judge to other people i mean i i still i mean i haven't figured that out yet um, the way I like to think about that is going back to performance potential. We each have our own unique performance potential. It's like a DNA. Mm. Okay? So if you were giving a thumbprint, which you travel a lot, yes? yes. I hope you're in that PSA, is that what it's called? The, the, the short line? I'm not in the short line. Yeah, well, hopefully we all will be. But you have to give a thumbprint, fingerprints. If we were, if you have to go in a room and give your fingerprints uh-huh. on us. And if there were a lot of people in that room and we were looking around and we have to give our own fingerprints. Right. And if we were concentrating on their fingerprints, our fingerprints might get smudged. Maybe that's not such a good analogy. No, but, but I get it. Yeah. So... If you're, say, in a dance audition and you're looking around, your dance DNA, your performance potential is going to be smudged. Absolutely, yeah. You have to stay with your performance potential, your DNA, your what you have to offer, because that's what you have to offer. Right. And if they're not looking for that, it's it's not about... It's not about you. It's it's about them, what they're looking for. So dealing with getting out of our own heads and everything like that, I know that's like a lifelong process, but how is it that, besides just getting unstuck, just getting out of our own way? Um, when you're performing, and I use performance in a very general way. I use it in the practice room, in a lesson, in a rehearsal, um, in an audition, in a zitz probe, wherever you are, <laughs> yeah. um, you're performing. Be with the music, 
be with the piece, be with the text, be with the step, because that's where your passion is. Be with your passion, be with your interpretation, be with what you love and know. If you're prepared, you have the discipline, the commitment, if you've made your choices consciously, if you're prepared, let it go. Be with who you are and what you know, and you'll be out of your head. No, that's good. No, it's definitely the part about being prepared. And I think we always learn in acting that we have to be present and being in the moment. But instead, we're often, myself, I guess I can only speak for myself, I'm result-oriented. Yes, and that's your training. That... You know, you're told your extension's not high enough, your arm, you know. Mm. That's your training, and it's um, unfortunate. <laughs> because you, <laughs> it is, and you're taught to look for mistakes, imperfections, what's wrong, what's bad. So you're almost taught to be outcome-focused. Right. Rather than... Be the best you can be. There are no mistakes. There's only learning and growing and becoming. It's a shift in mind mindset. I agree with you, but I also think that there has to be wanting to be better and Absolutely. to challenge yourself. But that's evaluation and discernment. Mm. It's the language that you use. Language is very important. You can beat yourself up by, I made a mistake. Yes. Or, I can do this better. Yeah, no, that, that, that's a completely different switch. I can improve on this. Yes. I can really make this better. Instead of saying that I did it. I made a mistake, wrong. damn me. Yeah. And that's I'm just, stupid. Right. You know, how, how many times do you say that to yourself? Oh, all the time. I just said it in tough class an okay. hour ago. <laughs> but you can make it better. Yes, and you it's... You can always make it better. Yes. Therefore, you can always master something, and it's joyful. No, it is, and I think being so hard on ourselves and being so result-oriented takes some of the joy out of something. Absolutely, when it's so joyful, you've chosen this profession, because what does it bring you? Joy. Okay. But I think that the... Um, the results part of it is when it switches from being joy to being a mortgage payment or health insurance or, um, you know, I mean, children, you know, people have children. So all of a sudden, it, the joy, it becomes more about, you know, getting I got to pay the bills. I can do this better. Right. Yeah. It's, it is. It's just a switch. It's just a switch in the head. It. it Language is, is really key to a lot of things in life. And when we listen to our self-talk, we learn a lot about how we can change our thoughts and change our performance. And you talk about performance energy. What is the de definition of Performance energy. Okay, performance energy is the central motif of these performance potential masterclasses. And it's an original concept of mine. Oh, it's okay. original. All yes. right. Yes. 
Well, I say it's original. It's an original concept, but I learned it from the hundreds of performers that I worked with. Um, because what I observed over my myriads of years of working with you all is that the performers who reach their performance potential uh, demonstrated a certain spirit or attitude, which I call a harmonic spirit, and they demonstrated certain thoughts and feelings and performance characteristics. Now, these performance characteristics I've called an octave of high C's. Oh, yes. So there are eight of them. And these thoughts, I call them a repertoire of six performance-enhancing thoughts. And the feelings um, are the feelings that each individual performer gets through performance accomplishment. Like when you know that you've really nailed it, okay, what's the feeling that you get? It's a satisfaction and it's an, it's an elation of, of adrenaline, but it's, it's, it, there's, a, there's a high okay. to it. Let's call it elation, okay. okay? Now, how you perform one thing is how you perform everything. Mm -hmm. So, you're sitting here now. How do you get that feeling right now? In, in life or? In, right now. Right now? Mm -hmm. um, We're talking. Uh, I get that feeling, I think, by when I'm honest. When, okay. I, when I am completely vulnerable and it feels like I am so naked and everything like that. But there's an elation of saying, I am willing to grow. Yeah. I'm willing to change. I'm willing to get out of my head. How are you doing now? Good. Okay. Are you feeling that? Yeah, well, I'm having a feeling of elation right now. Okay. Yes. You can have that feeling any place, anytime, anywhere. And that's on the stage. Okay? So, you go into performance. That's the goal of performance. That's the real goal. It is, yes. Okay? You take that goal and you'll perform the heck out of every performance. You could say hell, you could. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> That's my upbringing. <laughs> okay. You have that the goal of every time you go into a, a practice studio, any place you go. And your performances will be dynamite. That's your goal. Oh, and no one is elation. A, elation, and I think that I think New York City is hard because I can sit here have a great elation with you when I was in tap class and performing. Then you walk out uh, into the subway, and then you there's just it's crazy. And then you go to these auditions. And you try that on the subway. My goal today is I'm gonna feel elated on this subway ride. Try it. Okay, have you ridden the Queen? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I like the uh, the octave of the, that you have, the high C's, which are curiosity, creativity, calm, connection, consciousness, choice, commitment, and confidence. So um, I did my octave, uh, and I it's a wheel. It's a wheel working the wheel. And I always find that my um, Creativity is high and my calm is low. You develop nine profiles from this, and each each performance characteristic is its own profile, and you scale it, okay? And then you connect 
each performance characteristic and it gives you an overall performance energy profile. And I have a flat tire oftentimes. You have when a I do flat it. tire. Yeah, so it's like. You the, don't like your flat tire. I don't tire. like my flat tire. I don't like that so, uh, my creativity is high and um, my commitment is high, but then my confidence and my calm are low. And these are, I think, things that. I mean, I do. A lot of it I do to myself. A lot of it is just this, this city. It's a lot of it is this business. But finding how to, you know, combine everything that you, you get, get that elation. And have it be also in my confidence, you know. How how would your life be? What is what number is your confidence? You, you want to say? Um, I think today it's probably an eight. Yesterday it was about a five. Okay, let. What would you want it to be? A ten. Ten. Okay. What would your life be like if it your confidence was ten? Ten is the highest. One is the lowest. It's I think scale of one to ten. Well, I think that if my confidence was at a ten, that I would be able to leave the audition and let it go because I would be so confident that I did what I did. I did a really good job, and if they didn't like it, it has nothing Never to do with me. Never take it personally. Never take it personally. That's what I think I would get out of having a ten of confidence, um, and then also people like in. On a personal note, in the dating world, they're like, what's most attractive about a guy? They're like someone who's confident. But I think sometimes confidence and ego gets combined. Arrogance. Ar- kind of. yes. yes. I, I would okay. never want to be to come across as arrogant, but finding that confidence to walk into a room and be fearless and know that, you know what, I, I was prepared, I did it, and I can let it go. And What's stopping you from being fearless? Uh... I think it's self-doubt. I think it's, um, some of it right now is aging and feeling like I'm not as good as I used to be. I'm older than I used to be. I don't uh, have the goods anymore or that I think that, um, you know, that I used to, I used to, you know I mean, be well-known and now people I walk into, casting directors are like, oh my God, Brad, I haven't seen you in a long time. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's not as frequent. So I, I just don't feel like I'm at the top of my game. Okay. So you're you're saying my choices are less and my benefits are less. It sounds like you're not seeing the benefits of aging. I'm, I'm not. <laughs> wow, that's what you got out of that. I'm deleting this whole section. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I am seeing the benefits of aging when I actually sit back and I look at the truth of what's going on in my life. But I think that so much of success, having to succeed in this business, you have to sit forward. Yes, and this business has the reputation of not respecting aging. No. No? No, it doesn't respect aging at all. Especially especially in um, women, but now I feel like it doesn't respect that in anyone. Okay, so what are your options? What can you do about that? You who have started this fabulous podcast. See, you're a doer. I am. You are. Well, there's nothing I can do about aging. I have to no, just accept that. But what can you do about You just said my industry does not. I'm not sure. Gandhi. Let's look at Gandhi. Gandhi said, be the change you want in your world. Yeah, so I have to... I have to do some changing. I have to change my thinking. 
Yes, you were stuck, okay? So how stuck do you feel on this aging thing and on this industry, uh, quote, uh, standard about aging? Well, I think in many ways I'm ready to move to a new point in my career in my life. Okay. But um, I also, that the transition from being a, a like a, just a dancer or being a dancer, okay. also don't want to let that go because that is what I've known my whole life. That is what I've that is what has paid my bills. So knowing that oh I might be doing that less, I think I I want to hold on to that security even though I'm not as good as I used to be. Primarily just because my body's older. So it's it's coming to terms with that. Okay, so it's accepting. Maybe a given, a physical given. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, that's something that's something I gotta accept. <laughs> well, yeah. it may be. But what can you gain from that acceptance? I think just That's a, a choice. Yeah, that's a choice. I think just a clarity and then just a and also a, it will open up to yes. say what what is my next It opens some space. Yes. And I need See, more space. Yeah. When you're stuck, you have choice. And a new perspective. Why is it that performers who choose this as a career and are so talented, um, and I'm not talking about myself, I'm talking in general. <laughs> you can talk about You uh, get so riddled with self-doubt and fear and stage fright. And, you know, it's, it's such an interesting that we choose to be in the spotlight, yet we're scared of the spotlight. You know, people always say that's such a good question, but that really is a good question. Oh, I thank you. Um, one that I dealt with mightily, mm. personally. And um, I don't know if this is a psychological answer or a personal answer, okay? But I think we are all taught to be humble. Mm. Or modest. Whether it's religion or society but when you get on stage that is not a humble the spotlight is not a humble place no okay so it's a value clash at a minimum you know I I, I, I work with stage fright in various ways so this is just a not a psychological answer basically right it's a, it's a person. I think it's a personal. Um, this question has never been directed at me in this way. They, I've been uh, asked about stage fright, but not in this way. Oh, okay. Okay, so I'm kind of thinking out loud with you. Think out loud. Okay, um, I think it's a value clash. So when the spotlight's there, it's like, oh my God. You know, here's my modesty, my humility. Uh, am I really allowed to do this? And here's the spotlight, which I love. Now, stage fright can be post-traumatic stress. It can be a belief system. It can be a lot of things. But you give somebody a microphone, anybody, 
when they're, say, very sober, and when they've had a drink or two, a glass of wine or two, completely different. Completely. Yes. And that's what I think happens to a lot of performers. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. Yeah. It definitely does. Is rejection probably one of the biggest things, rejection and stage fright, some of the biggest things you deal with in your practice? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I can just imagine. You Relationships mentioned- are another. Oh, it, it 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 runs the human gamut. Yeah, yeah, because rejection. I mean, some people say rejection is God's protection, and I, sometimes I just want to be like, shut up, you know. Um, like I hate phrases like that, even if it, they're true. I mean, people ask me. They say they ask me why, um, why I chose to specialize. I told you I come from St. Louis. Yeah, and I thought. When I moved to Manhattan, I thought there would be so many exclusive practices. Yeah. Nobody. Nobody. There is there to to this day. Nobody has an exclusive practice, and it just doesn't make sense to me because there. To me, you know, you start so young, particularly dancers and musicians. Mm-hmm. And I, I call this, this is my own phrasing, when you perform, I call it regression in the service of the art form, all your defenses are gone. Mm. You so immerse yourself in the art form, and actors in particular are directly changed to lose their defenses. Yes, they are. And um, then you have to regroup and go out in the world as you are. And that's really hard. Uh, and then the gaps, the, the economic insecurity and the geographical insecurity and the relationship insecurity. I mean, you know, when you're in a cast, the showmances. Oh, and the, yeah. And the, because it's such an intimate experience. And the day and night I don't know what you call that, the time reversal. Oh, right. Oh, the lifestyle is so unusual. Oh, it definitely is. It's just a whole difference, and why wouldn't there be a special? I know. Well, you found, I mean, that you, you and yourself, I have to give you credit, found something that you were interested in, found that it was lacking in your field, and you thrived in it. Well, you know, Hamlet said, it is our artists, after all, who hold the mirror up to life. Yes, he did. So one difficult question, I think, that a lot of people in this industry come up with is when is it time to get out of it? When, after being told no so many times and no many times, and they just keep thriving and striving to do it, that they realize, you know what, it's time to move on. And I, I, I mean, I don't know... I've had friends that they've chosen to get out of the business, um, but and they're I think they should. They're so talented. I'm like, why aren't you still auditioning? But there comes to a point where people know I am done, and it's not about good. Maybe sometimes it is about not having the goods. But how do you deal with that type of stuff? You mean in the office? Just in like when with a, a client who's just finally they're like they've been ten, fifteen years of auditioning and nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. Hopefully it doesn't go 10 or 15 years. 
Because well, I think, but I think a lot of people it does. It goes longer. Well, not here in the Alps. <laughs> Seriously, that's a long time. Yes, it is. To be disappointed, to live a life that's not thriving. That's not a thriving life. No. Because if you're passionate about something and want to do something, 10 or 15 years doesn't bring much gratification of not doing what you love to do. Mm. I mean, I'm not the person who says time. I would wonder what's keeping somebody in a business that's not bringing them joy for 10 or 15 years. How's, what, what are they getting from it? What are they giving to it? And what are they waiting for? Those are, that I would be curious about those things. Well, I think uh, every once in a while, and I mean, I've had a lot of success, but I come up with the point of like, I can't do this anymore. I'm, uh, I'm done. I have to get out of it. And then I realized I was like, no, I, then I'll be considered a failure. I, I'm not a failure. I have to keep, I have to keep going. I think that just we, by giving up or deciding we want to do something else, that's con- we would consider ourselves a failure. What does failure mean? See, that's a very uh, painful word. It is. Yeah. And we would have to look at your self-talk. Yeah, self-talk is, is terrible. And I also, the psychosomatic thing, um, uh, I'm lucky I don't uh, deal with a lot of anxiety or psychosomatic, but I have people in my life that they get so anxious and, oh, and then the week of tech, they lose their voice. How much of that psyche, our psyche controls way too much of our talent. And so is that, it's psychosomatic, like getting sick and getting... Like a silenced voice. Yes, the silenced voice or, uh, you know, sinus infections. How much of that, I mean, do we impose on ourselves? It depends on patterns. Okay. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, very often we self-sabotage ourselves, which I would define as uh, thinking, feeling, and doing what the opposite of what we say we want. And if that happens stylistically in patterns, mm. I would look at it that way. So if I was in... Uh, performances where I constantly got sinus attacks in tech I would wonder about that yeah if I got one sinus attack in a tech I had a sinus attack yeah I have one this one friend in particular is now out of the business because he just then by opening night he was always so like no voice he was miserable there's no joy he took the something. I mean, I don't. I don't think it was by choice. Something took the joy out of this business for him. Where performing and singing, he was a singer, just was so difficult. It was so much work and anxiety for it that he's just like, he's done now. Um, and he's still on the periphery of the business. And in my head, I'm like, why aren't you still performing? Why aren't you still singing? And I just don't get that th- that part of him where he's like, my head was so hard on me. That I had. It, it might have been the way he was thinking about this. Yeah, that was hurting his heart. Yeah. Yeah. And his behavior, this, the physical, that's 
I would consider that a behavior. A behavior. Mm-hmm. Well, talking about behaviors, um, what would you say the big difference is between having an external change and an internal change? I look at thoughts and feelings as internal. And what we do is external, our expressions, what we do physically. You know, I'm lifting something right. or I'm performing. A performance is an action or an interaction. That's how I look at it, whether on stage or off stage. And what's what I love about what I'm doing now, particularly in these master classes, is I'm combining my therapeutic skills and my coaching skills to bring about both internal and external change because I'm motivating performers to become aligned with who they are, their thoughts and their feelings, with what they do, how they perform their actions and their interactions. And that's what goes on in these master classes. Oh, no, see, that's, that's brilliant. That's what's good to know. Because it's like, I, I feel like uh, after some of my sessions with you, we, I've never performed, I've never got here, I have a little stage here and a yeah. piano and a bar. I've never, my craft has never come into this room. But my craft has gotten better from being in this room because it's we're dealing with different things than um, I've ever dealt with because I think in uh, other therapy that I've had, yes, I've had lots of therapy, um, that uh, it, hasn't been, it hasn't been about performance specific. And not just to get, um, I guess, like really personal. One of the, I guess, the, the biggest issues I'm dealing with is uh, I put my values on other people. And... Um, I, it's the expectations, I guess. So I, there's certain things I do and I have expectations. So when I put these huge expectations on other people, whether it be friends or family or directors, choreographers, who yeah, are how friends. we do one thing is yes. how we do everything. So I put expectations yeah. on these um, people in power um, and then when they don't respond or act the way I think they should or the way I do, it's that's where my disappointment and... Um, my rejection comes in when I have to realize that that's my own expectation. You know, just because I would like reach out to someone after so and so doesn't mean that they would. And that just having to change that part of it, you know, of just because you work with someone once doesn't, they're not, that, they don't owe you anything. You know, like it's still a job, it's still a business. But the, taking my my values and my expectations off of other people um it's very freeing well i don't know that yet okay <laughs> well, i hope you i hope that i hope that's what comes in for you another space yes yeah yes you know. you're gonna have so many spaces i know my head's gonna be empty <laughs> absolutely empty <laughs> i i want to have space in my head that's for my craft not for all of the things that are getting in the way. Clutter. Yes, so much clutter, you know. House cleaning. It is house cleaning. When we first met, you were doing, a, you called it a dress rehearsal for, yeah. for your master class. Yeah. So now um, you are starting to want to do these master classes and you, um, because actors uh, can be, are poor, you actually have a truncated version that's a three hour version of it. Yeah, you had the all day. I did have the yes. all day. And um, and it was amazing. I think I liked I liked the workshop experience because as a as a performer and starting off as a dancer, I liked being in a room 
with other people. Some of it is for the comfort, some of it is for the risk factor, some of it is for the competition. Not one up another person, but you, you like, I like that camaraderie. Even where I go to at the gym now, it's all class-based. So I like that. And so I like the workshop feel, um, especially because a lot of people were strangers, so people shared a lot more than they would. You, we also talked about the divas, that we all have internal divas. That, that's in the all day. The all day yes. one. Because I forget what, was, I was a damning diva, like I yes. I damned myself, but then I... That's it, uh, the doom diva and the damning diva are fight and flight energy. Yes. That's very difficult energy to perform and to perform with. But they're driven. I was a driven diva. Oh, very driven, very <laughs> controlling, very yes. competitive. So, uh, so I, def- I definitely think, I know I personally learned learned a lot from them, and I knew I wanted to, to work with you, because I, I don't think that I realized um, that I was in my own head, and that I, I knew I was stuck because of other people, but I didn't realize that it wasn't because of other people. It was, I, I, I put myself in that position, I put my head in that headspace. Many performers like you have offered to create master classes. I've gone to institutions and they're interested. My website is full of my master classes. All right, and that's what Elma Lins Canefield. Elma at elmalinscanefield.com. And uh, there's a lot of interest in them, which really thrills me. I'm elated. Oh, (laughs) you, you should be elated. So why did you, you made a transition. You started a, a program at Juilliard, but now mm-hmm. you're no longer there. No, but Juilliard um, is interested in these master classes too, which I'm very happy. I've, I've, Juilliard's like my family. Yes. Yeah. So what? How did you get? Just uh, on a different note, how did you even get started at Juilliard? Um, I they put an ad actually. In backstage or something? (laughs) Yes. No, in the New York Times. Oh. uh, For a therapist for nine hours. And um, lo and behold, I got the gig. This was in 86. I subsequently developed an entire service, which is the still the only uh, on-campus performing arts service in the world uh, of an independent performing arts school. Really? Yes, and now there are, I think, 10 therapists and a consulting psychiatrist, and it's thriving, and um, the students love it, the faculty loves it, the staff loves it, and the school is so supportive of it. My hat's off to them. Well, that's wonderful, because I don't think that a lot of people see mental health issues as a real issue oftentimes a frivolous thing I mean how do you deal with having I don't know if you get the people challenging you with that like oh therapy oh that kind of stuff I mean do you have a lot of that people that poo poo that or not I guess it's New York City so that doesn't really happen here everyone has at least one it's not like you went from they take one risky career to a safe career (laughs) but you know that's true I never thought of that yeah you know, you could have, you know, gone to do something that's a little bit more stable. This, I mean, you made a success, but it is a, you know, it, well, you did definitely took a risk in mental health. And I think it's, it's very, it's very important. I mean, some people might not even know. What would, is the basic difference between um, 
a, a psychiatrist, a therapist? The, a psychiatrist prescribes medication. Okay. I cannot, and is a medical doctor. Oh, all right. A psychologist gives um, psychological examinations. A, psych, a, a, a psychotherapist does most of the talk therapy. That's okay. Me. All right. And what's the one like where you lay on, lay on the bed? That's a psychoanalyst. Um, I have <laughs> though that training background, not a certified psychoanalyst, uh, but I prefer to sit up face to face and engage. And so, what would your is your official title like? Uh, I'm a, a clinical social worker. Clinical yeah. social worker mm-hmm. specializing in the licensed perform- clinical social and specializing worker, yeah. in the in the performing mm-hmm. arts. So uh, as we come to a, a, um, a head of this, I, I mean, and I would say everyone should t- take your class. I mean, you've had such a varying career and working with a lot of people. Have you had something that was like a breakthrough moment for you? Because you talk about breakthrough moments with your other performers where you realize this is working with a student. This is what I'm meant to be doing. This is, I'm getting fulfilled by this. I, I change that person's Life and that in turn has changed my life. Have you had a moment like that that you're most I, proud of? I think my breakthrough moment was when I couldn't be helped. When I couldn't be helped. Because my diagnosis, nobody understood my heartbreak. Hmm. No. Nobody understood that I, I was so devastated. I think I'm a very creative person and my creativity was left so out in the cold it was just never addressed Mm. I I just had to follow the routine of what I was supposed to do and I thought nobody understands There's no research or attempt to understand the psychology of the performing artist. And that's what I'm supposed to do. Oh, wow. Great. It's like a calling. I feel like I have a a calling, but lately I feel like I might have different callings. Like you can have more than one. I think that that was my biggest problem, I think, is I always thought... I had one specific that's calling. That's when that's what you do with your space, Brad. Yeah. You listen to it. Well, this is fantastic. It's like your training, but it's gut training. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for this. Did I miss anything? I don't think you missed a thing. I think you got everything. Oh, well, good. Good, good, good. I feel like it did. I'm going to have to cut out some of those personal things. No, I won't do that. Um... If I could end this podcast with any song from your whole life or your whole career, from being an opera to being a Juilliard, anything, um, what would it be? Golf song. Yes. Sing. Sing a song. Oh, yes. Sing out loud. Sing out strong. Then that's how I will end this. Oh, I love piano classes. Thank you so much. I'll give you a hug. Sing a song, sing out loud, sing out strong, sing of good things, not bad, 
sing of happy, not sad. Just sing, sing a song.